This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. I love it. Um, So, Kim, thanks for covering this time with prayer. Warm hello to all of you and to everyone who is uh, participating in this study, regardless of the day or time, or if you're listening to the podcast. Greetings. My name is Mary Osborne Charles, and after a lot of prayer and study, I'm happy to share with you today what God has given to me. Um, And by the way, I'm going to assume that you've read the story of the fall in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 in order to keep my time short and honor your small group time. So if you haven't read that and you're listening this later, please pause and read. All right. So... The fall is a tough topic, and there's a lot to it, and our author has been very thorough. I can't cover all of it, but I'm really happy to be here and talk to you about um, what God has put on my heart. So I'd like to approach my remarks today in two parts. First, I'm going to make four observations on sin and temptation, and then I want to talk about Jesus and the story of the fall. So... Sin, it's a heavy topic. Although God has been kind to me and also given me some humor in this time, I was telling my small group last week how much time I had spent, really, on the topic of sin, preparing for this, but I left out a key word. I told my group I had been marinating in sin, and my friend Julie's eyes got really big. I left out the word topic (laughs) of sin, So, thank you, God, for giving me some light moments in all of this. All right. When we're thinking about sin, we can think about it too much. We can, we can be, it can become unhealthy if we spend too much time focusing on our sin because that turns the focus inward on us and it prevents us from uh, looking to God. So, but if we don't focus on sin and we're not convicted of sin, in ourselves and around us at all, then we end up in an equally bad place. So hopefully we can be convicted and also focused on God because the conviction of our sin leads us to the hope that is Jesus. All right. So The story of the fall is unsettling because Adam and Eve were tempted to sin even when they had such intimacy with God. And that's always been a little bit of a struggle for me. Like, where's the hope for me then? Um, And um, I wonder, uh, uh, there's there's something though that that is very hopeful to me that applies to all of us. And I wonder if you would open your, your study book to page 62 and 63. There's an exercise showing how the serpent and Eve kind of changed and challenged the word of God. And in the personal Bible study, it walked us through that. I wonder if anyone is bold enough to tell me what their answer is to question five on the top of page 63, where it says, what is needed to stand firm against temptation? Yes. Yeah, that's very true. Absolutely. Anybody else? She said to be tempted is not to sin, but to give in to the temptation is to sin. 
Yes, that's the encouraging part that I want to congratulate all of us on, to know the truth of God's word. So what are we doing here? <laughs> We're knowing what God's word is. So um, if, uh, if, like Jesus, that Satan tries to tempt us, even with scripture, we will know what God's word is. Thank you very much. So I thought that was really encouraging as I was going through this study, that, that very question that she gave to us. All right. So thank you, Jesus, for this study material and for this Bible study community. All right. So what is sin? I, I like to look at definitions, especially when we have a lot of words that we use a lot that can sometimes lose meaning. Um, I'm grateful to Pastor Steve. He recommended a great book um, by Cornelius Plantica Jr. It's called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And if this is a topic where you want want to go deeper, this is a great book. And um, he defines sin as culpable shalom breaking. Isn't that nice? Culpable shalom breaking. I also went to my Merriam-Webster app because I love that. And here's what it says about sin. A defective state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God. A defective state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God. I thought that was good. And it's true. All right. So let me hit my uh, four observations on sin. The first one, sin is simply not the way it's supposed to be. Plantiga gives a great example from a movie. And I love examples from movies. I loved how our author used... Um, Oh my gosh, why am I, the, the, the great movie. Oh, she, well, she used the kite runner, but um, she also used earlier in the study um, the sixth sense, which was such a great uh, example. But here's the thing. Plantica used a movie in his book that I had seen 27 years ago and only once. And yet when I started reading when he, his description from the scene that I'll read to you in a minute, the scene came back to me immediately. I knew who the actor was, what he looked like, and what his voice sounded like when he was saying it, because this scene was so true. It was such a truth. So I'm not going to play the scene because it involves some coarse language, but um, it, you can Google it if you want, just to see like, how, how, what a great example this is. So let me, let me read to you what he says about this movie. He says, in the film Grand Canyon, an immigration attorney breaks out of a traffic jam and attempts to bypass it. His route takes him along streets that seem progressively darker and more deserted. Then his expensive car stalls on one of those alarming streets where teenage guardians favor expensive guns and sneakers. The attorney does manage to phone for a tow truck, but before it arrives, five young street toughs surround his disabled car and threaten him with considerable bodily harm involving a gun. Then just in time, the tow truck driver shows up, an earnest, genial man, and he begins to hook up the disabled car. The Tufts protest. The tow truck driver is interrupting their meal. So the driver takes the leader of the group aside and attempts a five-sentence introduction to metaphysics. Man, he says, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but th this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. 
And that dude is supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is. Uh, Plantinga goes on to write, the tow truck driver is an heir of St. Augustine, and his summary of the human predicament belongs in every book on theology. For central in the classic Christian understanding of the world is a concept of the way things are supposed to be. They ought to be as designed and intended by God, both in creation and in graceful restoration of creation. They are supposed to include peace that adorns and completes justice, mutual respect, and deliberate and widespread attention to the public good. So Google Grand Canyon tow truck scene if you want to see this, because it's really good, but warning, some of the parts around have some language. Um, okay, so that was my first observation on sin. Um, second, sin has a Godward force. Sin has a Godward force. It does not act alone. It's against God. Sin is against what God says is good. It's a parasite that robs from what is good. And so, we see that without God, morality loses its basis, and the godless can flounder. Sin has a Godward force. Third, we often interpret sin through our own intellect and understanding instead of relying on God. And we see that that was what Adam and Eve were seeking in the story of the fall, don't we? Well, we want to know what's good and evil. They looked away from the words God spoke when they were tempted. Adam, or Eve listened to the serpent, and Adam listened to Eve, and no one listened to God. Not only did they fail to focus on God's words, they yielded to the temptation to decide for themselves what is good and evil, rather than relying on God to define it. And we do this. Does God really expect me to love that person who's acting so unlovable? Does he really want me to tell the truth at great personal cost to me? Does he really want me to resist the temptation to eat that entire box of yummy chocolate peanut butter bears? I have to remember that I can trust God. And Gary Brashears mentioned uh, just a great thing to remember on Sunday in our service that trust comes before obedience. All right. Nancy Guthrie sums it up in our lesson this week when she writes, Satan still comes to us suggesting that what God has commanded is unreasonable and is intended to make us miserable rather than deeply satisfied. And also when we succumb to sin, we don't get what we expect. Happened with Adam and Eve, right? The serpent said, oh, if you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened. Well, what happened when their eyes were opened? They didn't get what they expected. They had the wretched knowledge that they were naked. Yeah. All right. All right. Fourth, sin spoils, but at the same time, it's generative. Sin on sex spoils, it leads to death. And Plantica offers this very practical observation. 
Recalling and confessing sin is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. Although it spoils, sin is also generative. It, sin often gives birth to more sin. Pastor Steve, Steve observed this in his sermon on the fall. Um, with great humor, I will note, um, from this very story, when God asked Adam if he had eaten from the tree, Pastor Steve asked, did Adam say, yes, I did that, I'm responsible for it, and I'm not going to do it again? Yeah, I listened to this on a podcast because I was out of town for that weekend. And on the podcast, you mainly only hear the speaker because they're speaking into a microphone. That's the only thing the podcast is picking up. I could hear you all laughing when Pastor Steve asked that. So clearly, yeah. Um, so very often one sin leads to another. You misbehave and then you lie about it. A spouse is unkind to another spouse, and when confronted with the feelings that that spouse created in their spouse, um, they get mad and lash out instead of apologizing. We see it all around us. So sin is both a killer and a generator. But it kills because it reproduces. And by the way, the devil did not make you do it. Satan contempt but not coerce. Sin's a heavy thing to contemplate. Examination of the heart and conviction of sin is healthy. Excessive focus on our sin is unhealthy because it turns our focus inward on ourselves rather than on God. Sin grieves God, so it ought to grieve us. A healthy contemplation of and conviction of sin leads to a deep knowledge of the need for Jesus. So even the topic of sin leads to hope. The hope of Jesus is in the story of the fall. So Nancy Guthrie does a delightfully comprehensive job of pointing to Jesus in the fall in both her questions in the personal Bible study and in her teaching chapter. But let me touch on a few things that spoke to me. I mentioned that Satan can tempt but not coerce. Why is that? We see it in the story of the fall when God's judgment comes on the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head. Jesus' atoning death on the cross defeated sin and death. We saw Jesus in the creation story as the light John 1.5 tells us, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Maybe we can sum it up with this succinct truth I once saw printed on a t-shirt. Jesus is tougher than hell. <laughs> Another part of the story, the fall, that fairly directly points to Jesus is God's mercy when he provides clothing for Adam and Eve. He makes it out of animal skins, and that's the first animal sacrifice. We don't have this detail, but he could have used a lamb. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. The story of the fall offers the first example of hide and seek. When Adam and Eve realized they were naked, they hid from God. But God went after them. This is a theme in the Bible. It points to Jesus. In Luke 19.10, Jesus refers to himself when he proclaims, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, the good shepherd, tells in the parable of the lost sheep that he would leave the 99 to go after the one. How about exile? Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. They were removed from God's presence. God placed a barrier at the entrance to the garden to prevent them from returning. Jesus was exiled in our place on the cross. When he died, the temple curtain, the barrier that separated men from God's presence, was torn. Finally, Nancy Guthrie talks about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament by noticing a problem that only Jesus can solve. Well, ladies, the story of the fall qualifies. Jesus' introduction in the book of John by John the Baptist says it all. And by the way, introductions can be fun, can't they? They can be impressive. For example, multiple gold medalist Simone Biles. Billionaire philanthropist, Bill Gates. Super Bowl champion and current NFL passing rating leader, Russell Wilson. How does John the Baptist introduce Jesus? With just the most impressive introduction ever. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Thank you, Laurel. Um, I want to say thank you to my small group for pointing out to me that I have a story that I had shared that applies today. Any of you married to an Eagle Scout? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. So you're going you're gonna to empathize with me on this one. I'm married to an Eagle Scout. My husband's name is Kurt. He is a wonderful man, and he knows something about everything. And he is always, he does. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not joking around when I say that. Um, one time I asked him about something, he said, I don't know, it was about 10 years into our marriage, and I just went, what? Um, but he's prepared. He's prepared. It's true about Boy Scouts. Well, once we, um, we went over to a place in Central Oregon, maybe you've been there, it's called the Lava River Caves. Anybody been there? It's great. It's a spot where a lava tube uh, had, um, uh, there had been a break in it, and those are hollow, so you can go into it. So it's not really a cave, but it's a tube. You can go in there, and it's dark. I mean, it is really dark and cold, even on a warm, you know, high desert Oregon summer afternoon. It was cold in there. We went, and we had four young girls with us, my daughter and all three of our nieces. And when we entered, it's run by the Oregon State Park System, there was this station where you could rent a gas lantern. My friends, if you go there, please rent the, glass, the gas lantern. <laughs> Eagle Scout said, we have four flashlights, we're good. Eagle Scout's only failure. (laughs) We went into the cave, and the girls wanted to go all the way to the end. And it's not that far. I think it's about a mile, what do you guys say? 
maybe three quarters of a mile. Um, but we could tell, in the, if, if we turned off our flashlights, we could tell it was really dark in there. Well, as we were walking along, our flashlights started dying. <laughs> they started dying, and we were almost to the end, hadn't made it to the end yet, and our last flashlight went out. It was complete darkness. And we were there with four little girls, and I felt, I just felt so, I just had a moment of being really scared. And I didn't know what we were gonna do. And my Eagle Scout had failed me, so that was an unfamiliar <laughs> feeling to begin with. And I mean, real darkness is unsettling. It's really unsettling. And eventually, we heard sounds and saw a family coming that had the gas lantern. Well, Eagle Scout was kind enough to humble himself and ask them if we could follow them out. And here's what's interesting. We were in the middle of this total darkness, and we had the opportunity to reach out and grab the light. Now, the light, the family with the light had decided they weren't going to go any further. So in order for us to hang on to the light, we had to go where the light wanted to go. We didn't get to choose. We also, we had to go at the pace that the light was moving. And let me tell you, my little niece Carly, who likes to go along at her own pace, she's not so little anymore, um, I had to grab a hold of her and say, we are going at the pace. Um, and we had to go when they wanted to go. We didn't get to choose the route. We didn't get to choose the mode of travel. But we did have the light. And it definitely brought us out of the darkness. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts that we would know when we have turned away from you and that we would repent and turn back to you. Father, help us to know our deep need for Jesus. Help us to remember, as Jesus said, that the sick do not need a physician. Help us to know that we need the great physician. And Father, thank you so much for the women in this room and the entire Bible study community here at Sunset. We thank you for the words of Nancy Guthrie in this study. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct our small group conversations. We pray with gratitude all these things in the holy name of Jesus.